Welcome to Cardboard Conjecture. We're a podcast about board games where we have opinions and conclusions formed on the basis of incomplete information. This episode of Cardboard Conjecture is brought to you by these great Saskatoon businesses. Amazing Stories Comics on 8th Street, Dragon's Den Games on 8th Street, and Breakout Escape Rooms on Faithful Avenue. Well, hello there. How's it going, eh? This is What You've Been Playing Wednesday, and this is a special weekly episode that's a compilation of all the board games that we've been playing recently. And contributing on this episode are... Dyson Dragons, Matthew Legault of Scorpio Masque, definitely a board game podcast, Board on the Air, Metal Meeples and Beer, and Cardboard Conjecture. Remember to check out the show notes for the links to all the content of the What You've Been Playing Wednesday cast. It's winter, so you're either outside playing some hockey or curling, or you're inside playing some crokinole. I'm Shay. And I'm David. And we are Bored on the Air, and you are listening to What Have You Been Playing? Tonight, we will be discussing Cubitos. Or Cubitos? I think it's Cuba. Cubitos? Cuba? Cuba? Cuba Trooper? It's, it's <laughs> definitely a cube. <laughs> there is a cube in it. Yeah. And the rest of the word, I don't know if it matters, but <laughs> we will be discussing it. This is a game by John LeClaire and AEG. John LeClaire is famous for... Uh, Space Base is the one that we play the most of, mm-hmm. uh, but he's also done some card building stuff in Mystic Vale and an assortment of games for yeah, AEG. Yeah, a range of decent games, yeah. too. Yeah. Uh, in this game, you are, it's a racetrack. Mm-hmm. It comes with four different racetracks, and you're trying to finish the race. Yeah. It, it, it's a dice rolling dice it's, using it's not really it's, a placement you're just you're rolling the dice and based on what symbol shows up on those dice you do actions so you can either you'll get coins that will allow you to buy more dice you'll get feet which allow you to move move along the racetrack because that's the whole point um and then once you buy dice there will also be other symbols that will give you a special action uh, of which there's a variety of cards, um, similar to Quacks, where yeah. there's different, you know, there's a there's one type of symbol, but there's a bunch of cards that tell you what that symbol does. Yeah, it's, I think each each color die, and there's about seven or eight different color die, yeah. uh, all have six different cards you can use, and they have different sets that they recommend that work well together, mm-hmm. or you can just shuffle them up and go to town. I do like that per racetrack, they do give you the ones that work best with that racetrack. Yeah. Uh, I think that's cu- quite clever of them. Yeah, it's sort of got a Road to El Dorado feel to it, only instead of deck building, you're dice building. Yeah, because you, you do need to buy more dice to be able to get through this game, because you start off with basic dice that I think only two of them even have feet on them. The rest of them are just coins. Yeah, two have um, feet and seven have coins. Uh, the gray ones have coins as well. Yeah. Oh, that's what you mean by seven. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the trick with this game is, is it uh, again, I, I definitely relate it to Quacks. Um, you're rolling these dice, and the goal is to get as many symbols as possible. However, if you 
roll all blanks and you already have rolled more than three symbols, you bust and you're done. Your potion explodes. Your potion explodes, except in this case, you don't get points or coins. You just don't get anything. You move uh, up on the uh, fan track. Oh, right. There's a fan track that's kind of a catch-up mechanism. It gives you... Eventually, it will increase your hand limit of how yeah, many... It increases um, your hand limit, gives you money to yeah, spend. Exactly, yeah. So there, there is something you get, but you don't really get an action. Yeah. Um, but you also... The more symbols you get, the better off you are. So it's definitely a push-your-luck style. Yeah, I had a lot of fun playing this. I really enjoyed this game. Uh, I thought... The dice are very nicely made, uh, and they save money because at most one dice has three sides covered. The other ones are all yeah. blank. Yeah, uh, but they're all different colors, which is yeah. quite fun. Uh, they also come with these storage boxes that when you play the game, you flip them over, and on the bottoms, they hold the items, both the little hands for your hand limit and the dice themselves. Yeah, I watched the review by uh, Dice Tower, yeah, and Vassal. he really yeah. didn't like the boxes. He didn't like them. I like them. I, I think they worked really well. I have no issues with them. I like that they have a symbol on them that tells you what they are. The boxes also tell you how many, uh, or what's on each face of the dice. So how many have things on them, how many are blanks. Uh, and they're all color-coded, which is always enjoyable. Yeah, and you flip them over, you put the dice in it for when you're storing them. Yeah, it's great. Uh, also, I think the artwork is fantastic yeah and creative and it, the... it's a little boxy wow wow really <laughs> really <laughs> almost cube like almost cube like <laughs> shocking um also they do have fun with this game in terms of naming the because all of the dice are technically characters and they have um uh like cubasaurus which i think is very funny and that's the one i know right off the top of my head also, they all kind of have a family, so like the orange dice are beavers, and all their names kind of fall around a softball baseball team theme. Uh, so it, it's very fun, is what I'm saying, and the yeah. artwork on them is very clever. Yeah, and you know, uh, Jordan is colorblind, and he was able to tell the difference between all the different colors. He didn't They're have any very issues. Very vibrant. Uh, yeah, like there's no soft colors there, mm -hmm. uh, which a lot of people tend to have issues with if, with colorblindness. Although that's not to say some of them won't give you issues, but the sides are specific enough that the, you should be able to tell what is what. Yeah. And yeah, so we picked this game up recently. We really enjoyed it. Uh, I don't think, I didn't have any issues with it, really. Yeah, it was really easy to teach. Yeah. It took us about 10 minutes and that was just from watching... A single video or just a uh, review of it, which yeah. explained most of the game to me. And we just filled in the blanks with the rule book. Yeah, absolutely. Rule book was easy to understand. And I mean, it's not that hard to roll dice and do the things it says. Yeah, it, easy to pick up, easy to play, uh, easy to learn. So uh, really a good uh, gateway game and... You know, because it's got that push your luck, a lot of people tend to gravitate to that type of game because there's some uh, some internal challenge, I guess. Yeah, I'd say if you like quacks, you're going to like this one. Yeah, I would agree. Okay, I'm David. And I'm Shay. And we are Bored on the Air. We are on CFCR every Thursday night at 6 p.m. And you can listen to that online or on the radio in Saskatoon. And check out us on every podcast. Have a great night.
I'm Royce Calverly. And I am Aaron Milich. And we are Definitely a Board Game Podcast. A podcast that's definitely about board games, except when it isn't. And that is the first time I've ever been able to say our tagline. I let him today, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it feels good. I like it. Cool. Yeah. You can be the host. <laughs> so, Aaron, welcome to my show. I'm the host. What game have you been playing this Wednesday? <laughs> I have been playing Tiny Epic Dinosaurs by Scott Alms, Gameland Games 2020, brand new. I actually got my copy used. Uh, and uh, I am blown away by how much game is in this little tiny box. Uh, so you're saying it's kind of epic? It is. It's epic for a little box. Um, it has all these cool, very small wooden dinosaurs. Even with my nimble piano fingers, I have a hard time <laughs> picking them up and moving them around. But basically, uh, it's kind of like Jurassic Park. You're breeding dinosaurs and making sure they don't eat each other or escape. And that's basically all it's all you're doing. It's a, it's a worker placement game. Uh, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of game uh, inside this little tiny box. And I highly recommend it. I Sorry, I'm just still blown away by the idea of you having a hard time moving these around. I'm picturing me trying to move these little dinosaurs <laughs> with my giant sausage fingers. <laughs> just, yeah, I think it's best you don't let children play with this. They'll just eat all the wooden dinosaurs. They're really small. I mean, when they say tiny, they aren't kidding. This is tiny. Uh, but again, don't let that uh, don't let that fool you. There's a lot of game here. It's quite heavy. It takes about 45 minutes to play. I actually think it took us more like an hour for the two of us. Uh, and uh, a lot of fun and uh, a lot of things to remember as you go. But as a worker placement game, uh, definitely the best I've played this year and one of my top favorites for worker placement. I really have to try this one. I, that sounds really cool. But yeah, maybe I need tweezers or something. <laughs> <laughs> little, All right. Yeah. Speaking of little stuff. All right. Uh, by far the biggest game in my collection is Cthulhu Wars. Right. This is a massive, massive, massive game. So not small. Uh, individual models in this game. One little model is like 14 inches tall. Wow. Uh, it's huge. And people right from the beginning of like, oh, if it wasn't so big because it's so hard to take to conventions, blah, blah, blah. And the designer, uh, Sandy Peterson, he basically said, nope. This is my love affair to Cthulhu. I have no interest <laughs> in doing a little mini version. And then... Welcome, Cthulhu Wars Duels, a mini two-player version of Cthulhu Wars. Oh, and that's what I'm actually going to talk about is Cthulhu Wars Duels. Right. So this is a brand new one game, Sandy Peterson, Peterson Games 2020. And it's beautiful. It's a tiny version. It has stand-ups, like little cardboard standees instead of the big miniatures. The map is just the city of Arkham, essentially, or at least... Uh, uh, Massachusetts instead of the whole world and it only contains two factions although even in the rule book they were they reference other factions it's clear that they're going to be releasing Cthulhu Wars duels two and three and four to have the other factions and they'll all be interchangeable it's a quick 45 minute game it has everything the big version has the only big difference for me or big issue for me is that it emphasizes the combat Cool. In the original one, even though it was a uh, monsters on a map game, combat was always a means to an end, never the end. It was never the goal. And in this one, it is. And I don't know if I like that or not. 
there's a lot I need to break down here. I need to play it some more. I think I'm going to talk about this in a lot more detail in our next episode. Okay. Uh, so episode 25, I'm going to be talking about Cthulhu Wars in more detail because I just don't know at this point if I like the heavy combat version of Cthulhu Wars as much as I love Cthulhu Wars. Hmm. It's a great game in and of itself, but it's that comparison that I'm having a hard time with. So I've got to give it some thought, but I will talk about it more in our next episode. So if you really want to know what I finally decide, you're going to have to listen to our episode. Exactly. Where where can they find us? (laughs) Well, they can find us at definitely a board game podcast. We have a website, so just Google that. Uh, or if you belong to a, uh, a podcast subscription service, we're probably on there. We're definitely on the Apple Podcast, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio. There's a whole bunch of them out there. Stitcher, all these others. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So basically anywhere. Just look up Definitely a Board Game Podcast and you'll find us there or simply on our website. All right. That's, uh, that's what we've been playing this week. We'll see you again next week. See you all later. Thank you. Hello everyone, this is Ian from Cardboard Conjecture. What I've been playing this week is one of my favorite games from recent years, which is Wingspan. So Wingspan's a pretty popular game right now, so I'm sure most people have heard of it. But if you haven't, Wingspan is a pretty cool theme of bird watching. I guess, actually, I think you're kind of trying to trap birds in your area. I don't actually know exactly what you're trying to do but you're trying to collect birds is basically the goal of the game it's a card based game with all individual cards all of them are their own specific bird species and that's pretty awesome so you're trying to collect bird species and put them into different areas on your board either the forest the prairie or the wetlands and so different birds will go into different areas Uh, We played a couple two-player games because that's what we're playing right now. And they are pretty good games that we had. We used the European Bird Expansion, which adds a couple of new things. It adds a bunch of new birds, like almost half of a regular deck's worth of new birds. So that's a lot. But it adds a different way that they can score where some birds will get you points at the end of every round. And it adds some different uh, goal cards that you're trying to aim for. And these goal cards I'm noticing are actually quite a bit trickier than normal. So I was trying to go for a goal where I had to try to get all five cards in my forest area. A, they had to be all... Um, only forest birds which sometimes can be tough there's lots of birds can go into multi areas but the new card goal card that i was playing with all the five cards needed to be different powered cards so there's like brown powers are the ones that happen all the time there's white powers that happen only once these new teal powers which are the ones at the end of every round and so on and so you have to get as many of these different powers in your forest as you can And that takes a lot more planning than normal with this game. You really got to try to cycle through the cards as much as possible and look for the ones that you need, which is very difficult. Uh, 
And so the goals here, I think, are definitely a lot more challenging with the European expansion. And I had quite a bit of fun with that, uh, just taking the complexity level up a notch. I'm not saying it's it makes it a whole lot more complex. It doesn't. It just makes it a little bit more challenging in that regard. And again, you can take that challenge or not because you always have a choice of which goals you want to start with. So if you don't want to start with that goal, take the other one that you've been drawn and that's fine as well. I have not picked up the Australian expansion or the Oceania expansion, I suppose it's called, yet. I don't know if I'm going to. I'm kind of, I kind of want to hold out and see what the other expansions are going to be like and maybe pick and choose from, from those. But Wingspan is an excellent game. It works very well for two. And we've played it all the way up with five players. We've played everything from two to five players and it works great at pretty much any player count. So if you for somehow haven't played Wingspan yet, give it a go because it's one of the most popular games out there for a reason. I'm Ian. See you later. It's Rob from Metal Meeples and Beer, and again, I'm joined with my wife, Anna Marie. Hello. As we record for the What You've Been Playing Wednesdays podcast, um, and this week we're going to talk about two games, uh, one at uh, a decent length, and then one uh, that we just finished playing that we talked about last week. The first one we're going to talk about this week is Dwellings of Eldervale, uh, designed by Luke Laurie and uh, from Breaking Games. This game is a game about warring... Uh, magical factions trying to dwell over this magical land of Eldervale. Um, uh, and yeah, they're at war trying to kind of conquer this land. It's a, a worker placement game with a modular board. There's set collection. There's tableau building for combinations. There's monsters like minis. So there's kind of like dudes on a map going on as well. Um, Anna-Marie, talk to us about this game. That's what I was going to say first, too, is there are so many fun game components Oh, I know. The in components, this game. Let's say that right up front. The components <laughs> for this game are off the charts good. Uh, the the artwork, the the everything in this game, all the components, the, 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 the little meeple guys have the laser etching on them. Uh, the, the colors are amazing. The board is amazing. All the modular bits are amazing. Some of the best components I've seen in a game, including the trays that they come in, everything just fits in the box perfectly. They have lids for the trays, yeah, so things exactly. don't fall apart. It's super solid that way. Yeah, they have um, the individual player boards that you get. Uh, you have you have any unique abilities for for some of them, so they vary yeah. up. And each player board comes two sided. Yeah, so there's you, sixteen different like factions, factions in this game, and there there's so there's a light faction, dark fire earth order chaos water and air and two for each of those so you can flip it over to choose these characters on one side or the other characters on the other side and they'll have different abilities every one of them is different asymmetrical and one thing i love too is the the type of meeples they have here so you have four different workers four different Mm -hmm. characters for your worker placement you have your basic workers like you see in every game Mm -hmm. you have a dragon you have a wizard you have a warrior and each of those characters has a different um different kind of um placement ability and Mm -hmm. also a different fighting ability like the dragon has you get three dice to fight in battles whereas your main worker only gets one um your dragon can come move 
get placed on the board two spaces away from your from one of your meeples, whereas mm-hmm. generally everything else gets placed right beside each other. Yeah, and the other thing is like to to make each faction a little bit different. Each one of uh, the factions will have two specific abilities assigned to that faction. So my dragon might have a a special ability, but yours won't. Right. But then your worker might have a special ability. Yeah. So it all everything's really even. We've played with a ton of different factions in this game. Uh, we backed it ages ago on Kickstarter, and it, it arrived back before, uh, I don't know, what was that, November or so? We played a ton of games back then, and then we hadn't played it in a little while until recently and played a few, and it's just, it's an exceptionally well-made game and and just awesome. And and so the phases of the game, which is some of the coolest parts of this game, is that there's the worker placement phase where you're actually putting guys out onto the board, and they're doing things for you, there, and, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're placing your guys and they're doing things for you. But then the cool part is when you're returning them back from the board to refresh, you're actually placing them into your tableau and doing more actions as you're taking them off of the board. So you're always doing something, whether you're putting them onto the board or taking them off of the board. And there's just so much variability with how you can go about playing. Like mm-hmm. you can have so many people can, you have different strategies and you can change your strategy mid game if one's not working. So you can try to, you know, put a lot of your uh, resources into getting the adventure cards. Um, The board has like elemental tiles and then it has ruin tiles. So you can, you can get um, your little resources and you can get them from different ways and you can get resource tiles that you can add then onto your adventure cards. So Mm -hmm. they become extra places where your um, workers can come off in the regroup phase. And it's just, it's really fun. It's just the, the amount of different things that you can do is crazy. And every, you can um, you can dwell, which is one of the neatest parts yeah, of this game, Yeah, which is a super too. cool action, yeah. And the way you dwell is probably one of the neatest game components I have ever seen. Uh, you basically take a little roof and you put it on top of your worker mm-hmm. that's there which then now your worker has become a house, so you get points for it, and your points can also end up, they'll happen immediately, but then you also can get uh, multipliers at the end for them, Mm -hmm. but then it also takes your worker out of play, so that now you don't have that worker to use, and you have to try to get another worker out of the board. Yeah, and that's one of the ways you uh, win this game, or or trigger the end of the game, I should say, is by having six dwellings on the board. So you're going to be transforming your workers into dwellings as you move through this game, like she said, losing the ability to use that worker moving forward as he's now transformed into a building sitting there on on one of the one of the uh, boards. There's also the other way to trigger the end of the game is to actually lay out the whole board. So there's a, a stack of of the modular tiles that you're going to be placing out. Once those are all out, that triggers the end. You each get a couple more actions, and then you do a whole bunch of end game scoring. And it's just so colorful. Oh yeah, it's a gorgeous game. It's fun. Um, There's an element track, which is really cool, where you're kind of going up these tracks to, say you're dominating in different elements, like the darkness or whatever, and you're getting orbs, and using those orbs to do things. You're doing battle with these monsters. And I was a dummy, a super dummy. Um, (laughs) When I kickstarted this game i didn't realize i kickstarted the wrong version of it so i didn't get the one with the minis and i'm always the guy that gets the games with the minis so i'm really disappointed and i'm trying to get my hands on those minis uh but yeah no this game is exceptional and we have about 30 more seconds to go here and we're going to talk about cloud age a game that we finished playing 
just today that we talked about last week. And so um, I'll be really quick. I got annihilated. I won two of the seven <laughs> games in the campaign. Yeah. Rob just had, he just connected. He got it in I had so much yeah, fun playing for whatever it. reason it the game worked for me. Yeah. I, but I loved it. I loved the story. I liked that there was a campaign. I liked that you can also play so like scenario solo, not solo, but aside from the campaign. Mm-hmm. Um I liked I really liked it. Yeah, and um the it was a bit quick, but we have just by judging by the way the game ended for us, we think that there might be expansions coming. Which would so be I'm great. hoping that's the case because I could definitely uh, use a bit more story because um, it was a bit open ended towards the end. It was it was finished, but left room for uh, a lot more to happen if more they so choose. If, if it comes, yeah, so yeah. hoping Fister and uh, Cloud or uh, uh, Capstone are out there making some uh, expansions for Cloud Age. So that's it. We talked about Dwellings of Elder Vale, loved it. Cloud Age, loved it. Love it. Uh, yeah, and we'll see you guys next week. Cheers. See ya. What up, gamers? I'm Jason. I'm Julie, and together we're Dyson Dragons. You can find us on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook at Dyson Dragons, and on Twitter at Dyson Dragon. Yep, couldn't get that S. Now, what have we been playing, Julie? Well, we finally got back to gaming, uh, but it's still been a little bit of a slow week. We only got two games uh, this week. So I guess the first one we'd start with, uh, the one that uh, is a preview copy. Well, a review copy. Well, advanced copy. Advanced copy. That's the best way to call it. Okay. So it is called what? Naruto Ninja Arena, published by Japanime Games and designed by Don't Panic Games and Kedama. I believe Kedama did most of the design work with some help from Don't Panic Games. So what are you doing in Naruto Ninja Arena? Well, two to six players are going to be getting... Chucking dice. Yes, and getting involved in a battle royale as you're going to be fighting against the other ninja and trying to be the last one standing. Now, if you get knocked out, don't worry about it. You can come back at least once. You got to roll those dice trigger your combos, and also use your special power because when you use your power, you have to slap the Uzumaki tile in the middle and that will actually prevent damage and then it will sign all the damage that's being pushed around because this is the rolling clash system. You're rolling dice, stuff's happening simultaneously, it's a lot of stuff going on. Perfect for a party atmosphere or when you're waiting for some people to show up for game night. Yeah, you said you could come back to life if you've been KO'd, not if you're playing the two-player version. No, if you're playing the two-player variants of the game, whether it's the base game with two players or the dual mode, then no, you cannot come back to life when you're KO'd. So let's talk about the two players, because that's in this COVID pandemic era, that's all we got to play. Yep. Uh, we only got to play, we played the dual mode and we played uh, two players. Yes, and uh, we'll, we'll start off with a little bit of negative. We actually were hoping to play this a lot more than we actually did because uh, we felt that after a couple of plays we experienced everything that there was to experience with the two-player mode. Now if you love competitive dice chucking games this is for you. If you like Sailor Moon Crystal Dice Challenge this is also for you. Uh, what we found was that, uh, well, what I found is you're chucking dice and while pushing damage and trying to pull off your combos is a lot of fun. In the two-player mode, when you realize that your opponent is trying to trigger their power, well then, all bets are off. 
you really want to trigger your power first because you do not want to be the one that gets assigned all the damage. And that's just a little dull. Yeah, so I mean, that that's what I would say is that we, I felt... Uh, playing this game that it, it was really just, you know, you're, you're chucking dice trying to get that one face. Uh, I also personally found it, um, I guess maybe it's the characters that I pick, I found it difficult to uh, find the symbols I was looking for. I was looking for a lot of different symbols. You've got six different colored ones and then you've got six different uh, black ones and you've got five colored dice. So that's a lot of dice to look at. Uh, and for me, that's visually uh, when it's going that fast, that wasn't as much fun. And honestly, two-player, we're playing head-to-head. That's not our fav- my favorite type of game to be playing uh, with you. Uh, and on top of that, this is very fast-paced. Now, the advantage is it's a very short game, so I don't stay mad at you for very long. Well, also, you can't really be mad at me because we're chucking dice. So it's not like I have some evil strategy that I that No, but it's, it's, uh, it's just not my cup of tea. No, and I have to agree with with Julie. At two players, I really think we aren't getting the best of the rolling class system because a lot of the strategy that you can take in the game is completely not there. Now, the game does an absolutely fantastic job of adapting Naruto. Now, the game comes with the Genin expansion, so you have 10 characters in the game. All of the characters that we played feel thematic to the show and the manga, so if you're a Naruto fan, you're going to feel like you're playing your favorite ninja. Now, they did miss a little bit of an opportunity when it came to the art on the other side of some of the powers, because like when Sasuke triggers his power, it's supposed to be his cursed seal. Well, you don't actually see the cursed seal on Sasuke, so that was a, a little bit of a miss. And disappointed on that, but so, that's only yeah. Fans so we of the play, show. we played a two player. I think we're both looking forward to trying it out at, at four. I think it'll shine probably best at four to six players. I think that'll be a lot of fun, and that's when we'll see the strategy. No, come definitely because with regards to the roll and clash system, since everything's happening simultaneously, it's going to be a lot harder to track what other people are doing. And if you're having a bad round, you can just be like, you know what, I'm going to trigger my power first. And if people don't pay attention, you may pull it off. You can ignore all the damage. Or if everyone's ganging up on other players for whatever reason, or you're just lucky you don't have a player that's going to be dealing damage to two different players, which is part of the game, well, you can then uh, try to trigger your power and actually knock that player out of the game. So moving on, let's talk about the game of ham which also stands for Hating All Mankind. So this was a, another, uh, this was a first look, a, a preview. Yeah, we only did a first impression of the game. Uh, the, 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 again, the disadvantage here is this is a party game, uh, and it's definitely intended for more than two players. It's intended for a minimum of three, and we both feel that this is going to be better at the higher player count. Yeah, five or six minimum is what I would say. If you uh, played Cards Against Humanity... Same player. Yeah, right? so I was gonna say this is this is made me think a lot about uh, Cards Against Humanity with a couple different. I mean, it has a board, uh, and there's more take that mechanics as uh, you can you can listen to our uh, our first look if you want. More yeah, details. that'll be coming out in uh, not this week, but most likely next week. Uh, basically, uh, this is this is a game. If you enjoyed Cards Against Humanity and you want to try a little bit more, take that. I would say. Yeah, I don't think we have a lot to say about it because the game can be played as a card game. If you play it just as a card game, it is essentially Cards Against Humanity with some different cards, but also a lot of very similar cards. There are a ton of rules and variants in the game. I really wish they'd step 
separated that out into two rule books. There's even some variants if you'd like to partake of a lot of adult libations, which is definitely something that Julie and I don't do at our age, especially when we got a little guy that's gonna wake us up early in the morning. But if you are looking for a party game that's got takedown mechanics, as Julie said, then the game of Ham is probably worth uh, worth a look. Also, if you're getting a little sick of those regular Cards Against Humanity cards, you just want some more cards and something in that style, it's well uh, worth picking up. So that's what we've been playing. Thanks again uh, for having us on the show, and we'll see you next week. Yes, and don't and forget... Keep playing games. Keep playing games. Hi everyone, this is Matthew here from Scorpion Masque, the Montreal-based board game publisher who released no less than five games in 2020. I'll tell you about them a little bit later, but first, I'd like to tell you about what I've been playing recently. I joined Board Game Arena. Like, I'm a paying member now, right? I have a subscription. Since March of last year, I've been playing on Yucata and Boitage and dabbling a little bit on BGA for free. Uh, the sorts of games I was playing on Board Game Arena were like Race for the Galaxy, Keyflower, Targi, and Trois, or Troys. Now, I love Troys, or Trois. It's one of my favorite games, but I really found that it translates badly to a virtual version. Just the lack of being able to manipulate the dice, the lack of being able to see the whole board state, I found it a lot less fun to play online. Now, the game I've been playing recently actually seems a little bit more fun to play online than in real life, and that is Res Arcana. Res Arcana, by publisher Sandcastle Games, is a 2019 game by Tom Lehman. That's right, the designer of Race for the Galaxy. Now, there's some striking similarities in the feel of the two games. Same kind of weight, same kind of variability, but some striking differences too. And not necessarily for the better. I'll go into that a little bit more later. Now, Res Arcana is a resource management engine building game in which you play a character, a scholar, a druid, an artificer, whatever that is, and you're trying to do alchemy, that is, turn base essences into gold. The essences in the game are death, life, calm, and elan. But they're really just black, green, blue, and red. At the beginning of the game, you get a hand of eight cards and two characters. And you need to look at those eight cards pretty closely and choose which character will bring the best out of them. Because those are the only cards you're going to get for the entire game. Yeah, I made the mistake the first time I played, asking, so how do I add more cards to my deck? And the answer was, you should have read the rules more carefully, you can't. So once you've chosen your character, you shuffle your deck, you draw three cards, you get your resources, and you're off to the races. Now on your turn, you can spend essences to play a card out of your hand onto your tableau, or you can rotate, not tap, <laughs> a card in your tableau to perform its effect. You can use a magical item to do things like gain essences or draw cards. You can discard cards from your hand to collect gold or essences, and you can also purchase places of power or monuments, which get you big points, which give you special abilities. Now the game ends when one player crosses the 10-point threshold at the end of the round, which happens once everyone has passed. And that's it. I mean, it's not a complicated game, but there's some really nice elements to it. For instance, there are abilities that allow you to unrotate cards, so you can re-rotate them and use their ability a second time. There are cards that generate essences, but that you have to store on the card, meaning that you can only collect them at the beginning of the next round. And there are cards that allow you to store gold or essences, which you can either collect to use or leave on the card to score points at the end of the game. But I want the gold now! And at the end of the game! 
Now, there are even attack cards in the game in the form of powerful dragons that players have to defend against or risk losing either gold and essences or even artifacts from their tableau. Now, here's the question. Do I like the game? Yes, I like it. It's fun. It's good to chain together nice combinations of card actions and generate points and resources. Uh, there's a certain thematic atmosphere to the game, too, which works well. But there are some things holding this game back from being great, I feel. When I was working for Asthma Day Canada, I remember demoing this game at a couple of cons, and I was amazed at people who wanted to play the game again and again. I, I couldn't figure out why. I mean, there are people who love this game. But for me, the fact that you only get eight cards means that you're limited in your choices of strategy, and some cards can be completely useless to you. I mean, an example of this is when I played recently and I got the Dragon's Egg. It allows me to destroy it and place a dragon at a significantly reduced cost. But I had no dragons in my hand. So all I could do with this card was discard it any time I got it to get resources or gold. It's not so fun. Similarly, in the game that my hand was full of dragons, the dragon's lair place of power didn't appear, meaning I didn't get any nice point multipliers. So that was a little bit frustrating as well. I've seen the comparison made between the cards you get in your hand in Res Arcana and the cards you get in your hand in Agricola. The uh, achievements and occupations, I think. Some of them may work for you, some of them may not. But, I don't know, I find like this game, because it's an engine builder, those cards should be working for you. I mean, it is called an engine building game, but often your engine is just sputtering along as you try to make incongruous bits and pieces fit together to generate resources at a snail's pace. I guess maybe that's thematic. You know, trying to generate gold out of a hawk, a dancing sword, and a dragon's bridle down at the Hanging Gardens. And I think that my main hesitation in this game is that this kind of volatility, you know, you don't know what you're going to have to make do with, works for a game like Race for the Galaxy, which takes only 20 minutes to play, with lots of simultaneous actions. But frustrations and, oh, if only I could have... They're short-lived in that kind of game. You just shuffle up and play it again. Maybe this time the cards will line up properly for me. Res Arcana is a longer game, around 40 minutes at least, and some turns can last forever with players rotating and unrotating cards, buying monuments, using monuments, drawing cards, discarding cards. At the end of one four-player game, one person had spent 15 minutes playing, two people had played for 20 minutes each, and one player had played over 45 minutes because of this. I mean, that's a fringe case, I know, Chris always takes forever on his turns, but still, you get the idea. I think that in conclusion... Res Arcana is a nice experience, but it isn't profound enough to properly reward multiple plays. The variability prevents strategy building, and by the same token, it's not short enough to want to try something wacky like doing a blue strategy in Race for the Galaxy, because you could get stuck waiting around a long time for your turn. The one thing I'd say it has going for it is that the online version seems a little bit less fiddly to play than the version on, uh, on the tabletop. I found sometimes I couldn't remember what I'd collected for this and that, and oh, I didn't see that on that card. Board Game Arena takes care of all of those little bits and pieces for you, and in that way, I find it's a little bit of a smoother experience. Res Arcana? I would never turn down a game. But it's not one that I take along in a game night and insist upon playing. So that's it for me. This was Matthew from Scorpio Masque. Please check out our website, scorpionmaske.com, to see the five games we released this past year. Stay Cool, Flash 8, Mia London in the Case of the 625 Scoundrels, how's that for a name, Master Word, and Zombie Teens Evolution. Thanks again to everyone at Cardboard Conundrum for having me on, and happy gaming, everyone!
Well, hello, everybody. This is Norm from Cardboard Conjecture. We're a podcast about board games where we have opinions and conclusions formed on the basis of incomplete information. And Bridge City Board Gamers Community in Saskatoon. Check us out on Facebook. Well, let's start off the segment with the one of my favorite things, and of course, one of my uh, uh, moments of jealousy. We're going to go to the Facebook community and we're going to check out what the members of uh, the Bridge City Board Gamers Facebook community have been playing. And a uh, frequent contributor, Jason, uh, says that uh, uh, Amy and I played Amerigo Bora Bora this past week. Amy is 3-1 to one so far in February. Next up is the Year of the Dragon. I have not played Amerigo. I love Bora Bora. I have a copy. Um, and Year of the Dragon, I also have a copy. And uh, when I play Year of the, Year of the Dragon, it's, um, how shall I say this? It's Death by a Thousand Paper Cuts. Yeah, I, I've, I struggle with that game, but I love it, right? Uh, next up, Kelly, uh, Fox in the Forest Duet and Citadels. Uh, I, I have Fox in the Forest Duet. I have not played it yet, but I have the, the original one. The, um, the second one, the duet, is a is a cooperative, so that's very cool. And Citadels, I've seen it a lot, I haven't heard much, but I'm intrigued by it, yeah. Lane, Lane often contributes to the to the threads, this is great. So, Star Wars Unlocked, yes. Yes, I think I've mentioned I love Star Wars before. Blockus, Zombie Kids Evolution, Evolution, um, uh, from uh, Scorpio Masque, uh, Matthews, um, uh, company from Quebec. Um, and uh, yeah, I, be, I was actually looking at uh, Zombie Kids for uh, to see if uh, my kids would enjoy it because, um, I mean, zombies, right? Cool. Moving on. Hands. Uh, Terraforming Mars, Baron Park, Broom Service, Point Salad, King Domino, Dragons. I'm jealous already the fact that he got to play all these. Uh, he's got more. Ready? Dragon's Breath. Uh, La Isla, Bonfire, Amerigo, Rajas of the Ganges, Dice Charmers, Castles of Tuscany. Wow. I don't think Hans sleeps, but those are solid titles. Yeah. Dragon's Breath. Have not heard of that one. Uh, Dice Charmers. I don't think I've heard of that one either. But uh, all the others. Yes. Solid. 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 Um, moving down the list, we have Tim. Warhammer Underworlds, uh, Dire Chasm, I think. I'm probably, he's probably flinching right now. Dude, come on, man. Kingdom Builder, London. Uh, I, I, if that's Martin Wallace, yay. I have the second edition by Osprey Games. I, I like that one. Um, they said I corrected something in the first edition with the, yeah, I don't know. I like the second one, but I got nothing to compare it to. Uh, moving on. So yeah, that was Warhammer Underworlds. That's a, that's a IP that I'm scared to even lean towards because that's a lot of painting minis. Um, uh, Eli, Clank in Space and Sorcerer City. I know it's not a board game, but I've also been playing Skyward Sword. Um, if, if you're having fun, that counts. Absolutely. Who cares? Uh, a guy missed me some clank in space. Yeah. Um, Marion, 
posted a picture, and I can see Ticket to Ride, Flamme Rouge. I love that race game. Um, Sky Dice, I think. Um, yeah, cool. All of, a bunch of great titles. Tony, Dice Throne Adventures. Oh yes, yes, that's the uh, Dice Throne, which is uh, Roxley Games. Uh, kind of a Yahtzee mechanism where you're basically playing head-to-head, but this one is actually, they turned it into a campaign. I am so interested in this one. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Ryan of Cardboard Conjecture, probably was busy this week, did not get a segment in, but here we go. I'll tell you what he played. We got in more plays of Castles of Burgundy, Bruges, Aquasphere, and finally Bonfire. I'm smelling a pattern, a theme here. Hmm... Maybe some Stefan Felduary. Also a couple games of Marble Champions with the new Quicksilver Hero Pack. Uh, just to remind people, Ryan and I have on our YouTube channel, we uh, are getting in the habit of having a, f- a Marvel Champions Fight Night. And I think we're going to start the Red Skull campaign pretty quick here. So that sounds fun. Uh, Kylie, um, revisiting Wingspan. That's That's such a solid game. Yeah. I have a copy. It's. I think I might do. Uh, I think I might do in an episode on jabs, on that because I mean, uh, that's j- the jabs on our YouTube channel is pretty much my excuse to start playing through my collection, right? So that's my excuse, and I'm sticking to it. Garth is up next. My city has been a hit with my family. We finished our third chapter last night, plus some Azul, Marvel Legendary, Dominion, Pendulum, and my wife's favorite, Wingspan. Yes, that's a that's a solid lineup. Jeremy got Tainted Grail back in January. This is so currently uh, permanently set up on the table. Yeah, yeah. That's I think that's very Gloomhaven like, uh, as far as having its own table and kind of dominating a space. Uh, going on to say otherwise, Infinite City, Elysium, Eco's First Continent, and Kilt Castle, all. Great titles. Ecos. I had so much fun with that one. Yeah. Yeah, that was fun. Uh, Ash played Fuse. Yeah, that's that dice real-time. Catan, uh, Thunder and Lightning, uh, and Pixel Tactics. One, two, and three on the weekend. Nice. Travis. Zorkin. Harry Potter Hogwarts Battle. Moving on to Game 7. Oh, yeah. My, so- my daughter and I, Sophie, played up to Game 5, and then I think we just kind of you know, she's a preteen, so it was pretty much, hey, the wind blew and my attention moved. Uh, Codenames Duet and Lords of Waterdeep. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Tracy played Century. The, you know what? This is a, this is a very solid list. Very solid list. Um, I'm going to quickly interject here and uh, and talk about uh, three titles that I got to play. Um the uh, this first one was so kindly sent to us by Thing Twelve Games, and uh, we we so appreciate this. It is Dinos Not Assembled, designed by Alice Davis, and like I said, published by Thing Twelve Games. Uh, it's a uh, it's it's such a family friendly set collecting game with the theme that uh, you're in charge of a section of a museum or your own kind of museum and you're basically um, 
excavating so, uh, on a dig and you're and the tiles you're excavating these these uh, various uh, fossil tiles that you're collecting and uh, bringing back to the museum and uh, depending on what fossil you're trying to assemble there's certain cars of the dinosaurs that uh, my son Daniel is very good at uh, uh, helping me pronounce because you know all kids are dinosaur experts lately but uh, yeah uh, it's it's uh, it says it plays 20 minutes and uh, Daniel and I yeah we we had such fun uh, I think we played three back-to-back -back games and uh, and as far as me being you know the hobby gamer in the family uh, it, it wasn't some, it wasn't, it was, it was engaging for me too. It was, it was great fun. And I, and I, I so enjoyed the, the experience that it offered myself and Daniel. So, uh, I highly recommend, uh, Dino's Not Assembled. Um, we're going to move on to, uh, of course, me being, like I said, uh, me being the, the, the principal, uh, solo board gamer of the family. Uh, I, I played Villagers. Uh, designed by ha Hakon Garder. I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, uh, published by Sinister Fish Games. It is a um, card game, deck building, city building. Um, the uh, There's a really cool, like, I mean, it's your typical de deck builder, I guess. Not necessarily deck builder. City builder with cards. And how you use these cards are in your tableau, and uh, each there's there's different areas, right? You're, I mean, it's the the idea that you're trying to build up a small village, so you're going to need key characters uh, in, in the agricultural sector, in the mining sector, right? There's all these different sectors that are important to the the thriving nature of a village, and there is kind of vertical integration with a lot of these things. You know, you start off with a founder, and from the founder, you can build certain paths. And uh, it's this whole, it's this whole um, tech tree, I guess, that you're growing with this card market system, uh, um, acquiring certain amount of, of villagers, depending on your the status of your board as it as it organically changes depending on the cards you put on and also the fact that you have builders in the village that can build a little bit more so there's this a really really cool engine builder um not necessarily engine builder but this this tech tree how you develop it so that you can score at the end of it like every good uh, euro uh the most victory points right um it pl it plays for me i play it solo it plays 25 minutes and there's, uh, there's I mean, engaging uh, decisions to make. So uh, I, yeah, and it's one of these little small kind of shoeboxy, um, <laughs> for if, you, if you're Canadian, you'll know what I'm talking. It's about a big, thick Velveeta box of cheese kind of size, right? Double stack Velveeta. Um, <laughs> oh, my childhood's coming back. So yeah, moving on. Uh, I, I was, I guess, I was, uh, you know, card game crazy now because uh, I played uh, quickly a game of Valley of the Kings, designed by Tom Cleaver and published by AEG, and uh, uh, deck building. But this one's cool. I mean, it's your deck builder follows the standard rules of deck building, where you have an economy to buy the cards, and then the cards have. Uh, uh, um, special abilities on them but this one is because of the thematic nature of it and which I love in the two aspects one is 
the the market itself is a pyramid and you only get to take the bottom row and the bottom row is three cards then two cards then one card which visually forms a cool pyramid but uh you draw from the bottom and you get to choose how they refer to it as how's the pyramid crumbles basically it's like a plinko how these cards kind of fill the bottom and then you replenish from the top kind of thing now that's cool but Valley of the Kings thematically is where all the pharaohs were bo- uh, were buried. So the idea is all of the wealth is buried in the Valley of the Kings. So in this game, for you to have value in your victory points is you have to you have to entome. Every turn you have the ability to entome a card. Some cards have the explicit power that you get to entome extra cards, right? And at the end of the game, whenever, you know, the cards run out at the end of the game, you basically count all the cards in your tome. Some are just straight points and some are points reflective on how many of the set that you've collected, which is, you know, your typical set collecting stuff. You collect one, you get one point. You collect two, you get three points. You collect, you know, and so on and so forth. Um, this has a great solo, has multiple solo variants. I have the um, the... Valley of the Kings Premium Edition, and I, I got it in, in such an awesome math trade with Ryan, which is that we joke about the meta because he's a math teacher, so we had a math trade in his math room. Math room. Yes, that's what I said. Okay, so yeah, Valley of the Kings. Awesome. Um, so well, that being said, uh, we're, we're coming to the end of this episode, and um, with a lot of the... Uh, cast that were away this week, uh, the first thing we want to do is we want to send out big warm wishes and prayers to those who uh, at this time need a bit of a uh, bit of support. And, uh, you know, we got your back, Jack. Anytime you say the word, we're standing right beside you. So lean on us a little bit. Um, and uh, uh, segueing into the, the fact that this community of contributors, this community, this family eh, that we started developing, uh, very proud of the content that everybody is is contributing and so proud to be a part of this as well. Um, so with all of these these warm wishes on still still a cold winter. And with that being said, I'm gonna say, take care out there, eh? And keep your stick on the ice. episode of What You've Been Playing Wednesday has been brought to you by the very, very cold people at Cardboard Conjecture. Like, seriously, is winter over yet? Because, I mean, summer was great last year. I think it happened on a Wednesday. <laughs>